And here we go. Screen heat. Miami. (laughs) It's been too long. We always take too long, don't we? It's like a fine wine, Kevin. That's how our podcast is. (laughs) That's right. It is. I mean, we don't have seasons. We just keep it rolling all throughout the year. We don't like those other podcasts. We have a vintage that is available year round, depending on your geographic locality or not. There you go. You just need the internet and a streamer. We're on Spotify. We are also on Apple Podcasts. Good reminder for everyone. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can also find us on Google Podcasts and, of course, ScreenHeatMiami.com. Yes. You can find Kevin Sharpley. Along with JL Martinez. And our sponsors. The hosts and the sponsors all together in a plethora of goodness that talks only about the entertainment industry in the most unique and interesting way possible. So we got to get to Camacall. Yes, of course we do. And of course, we got to get to Kijik Multimedia. Yes, sir. Cinevision. And the Miami Media and Film Market. Which is coming up. It's a virtual. Yes. It's a virtual conference this year because of the pivots. We have some unfortunate downturns because of the Delta variant. Some of our European delegates couldn't travel. Some of the LA folks want to sit back this year. But all those speakers are still going to be appearing live via live stream. So if you go to Miami Media and filmmarket.org, you can register uh, for free now because it's a virtual conference. And you can submit your script for the second round of Table Read Theater. Winners will be announced on September 23rd. Boom. Yes. Go get it. Go get it. And what are we going to get today? What are we going to oh, get? Who's our at? guest? Who's oh, our boy. guest? We got a big one. Speaking of LA, speaking of Hollywood, Mr. Hollywood himself, Mr. Vinny Chase. Woo! Adrian Grenier. What a get, my friend. Yes, sir. Yes, yes. He was part of that plethora of amazing interviews during June's uh, Bitcoin conference in Wynwood. And he was just one of the many stars from various industries that that sort of descended upon Wynwood in the hip urban area of Miami to discuss everything Bitcoin and cryptocurrency for two days. Biggest conference of its type. In Insane. In history. Oh, man. Yeah, it was just it was a madhouse, obviously, on the tail end of the pandemic. uh, But it was just such an an incredible forum for folks from the business sector, from the political world, from the entertainment sector, just all kind of coming together to discuss this idea, which is now a reality of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies becoming this sort of borderless way of paying and buying and and creating new economies and commerce and hopefully lifting folks out of poverty and getting them to a better place. And I got two things on that note. Number one, Adrian Grenier said he never does interviews like this. So very rare. Very rare. Yeah. Well, We're very lucky said, to get a, Yeah, he right. said it before the interview. So this is just like a, a screen heat exclusive. Second yeah. thing. He was Bitcoin, very gracious with his very time. Very gracious. So yeah. Thank you, Adrian. And great interview, I, I might add. Oh. Not just because it was you and I, but... Um, yeah. You know, he kind of got, you know, he guided that along and he's into some really big things. So, yeah, no, he is. And I'm excited to get into this interview. I think our listeners are really going to enjoy how Adrian's career has involved, uh, evolved, you know, from uh, Hollywood actor and star to now his relocation to Austin and working with this sustainable farming and crypto. Very happy and proud of all the work that Adrian's doing. I think you're really going to dig his his interview. Yes. 
And then the second thing is Bitcoin is on its way up. Yeah, they're back, baby. Whew. It has gone up. I think it went up about four and a half percent yesterday. Uh, the whole week and all last week, it's been moving up. So you could feel it even more because one of our favorite theater chains, AMC, is now going to accept Bitcoin. Yes. Speaking of the entertainment industry's embrace of new technologies and forms of currency, AMC is going on the offensive, as they say here in this CNBC article. They have a $2 billion war chest now, and they're liquid after evolving from uh, or kind of surviving their bankruptcy, reorganizing and saying, all right, let's let's start to let's start to play. They, ball never, again. they never went to, into bankruptcy. Right. They were able to negotiate, I guess, some of their debts. And they debt were tours. able to negotiate yeah. those debts because of um, the Reddit group. <laughs> That's right. Those yeah. Redditors, man. I did okay them and, on that and game stock. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was an unexpected windfall for them. Oh, and it me puts too. them in a, yeah. And, and for you as well, I know you're a big, you, you know, you're our resident Gordon Gecko. Uh, here, <laughs> I and, don't know uh, about that, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, money so never sleeps. Um, that's right. That's anyway, right. Uh, so so yeah, I think AMC is doing you know everything they can not only to survive the tail end of this pandemic. Hopefully, it's the tail end now, uh, but to also position themselves as the leaders once again in the theatrical marketplace uh, come end of this year, beginning of next. Yeah, and part of that offensive, like I just mentioned, is accepting cryptocurrency, Bitcoin specifically. And, you know, I think that they're moving to set the standard in terms of future thinking. They're retrofitting. They're taking some of that war chest and they're retrofitting some of a lot of their theaters. They're making leases at other spaces. So they're expanding on top of that, yes. you know, which, which is, you know, this offering to the greater community instead of, you know, stock buybacks and, and these kind of things, they're really investing within the, the company and the theatrical window. You know, a deal was just struck. I was going to say not a moment too soon. AMC going on the offensive, coupled with this next major announcement right out of Hollywood Reporter that AMC did strike a deal with Warner Brothers, Warner Media for a 45 day exclusive theatrical window starting in 2022. Huge, huge. Huge, especially after Skojo got scarred. Yeah, you know, that's been a point of contention. And, and obviously, it, it mentioned in the article, AMC is actively negotiating with all the major studios, not just Warner Brothers, to hopefully strike a similar deal. But we can start to see the chink in the armor of the studios being overly aggressive with this day and date format and, and showing how that is having its repercussions within the, the Hollywood industry. Skojo, she's scorned, scorching the earth. Yes, Black Widow takes Suing no prisoners. Suing Marvel. Suing Marvel. Suing Disney. The, Disney, that's right. Sorry. I went too small. Oh, that's right. She's suing Disney. But you <laughs> know what? They're parcel. <laughs> yes, they are. But you know what? The thing is, what a lot of people don't see is, yes, these actors, they make a lot of money. But oftentimes they put their careers on the line. So oftentimes there's a small window for actors to be able to take advantage of whatever type of fame that they have. And so the way that they are able to take advantage oftentimes is taking what's called back end points at the end 
of the prophet of a movie. Joaquin Phoenix is now loaded, loaded because Joker, which was only made for $60 million and he took back end points, ended up making over a billion dollars. So those back end points, he cashed those chips in. I don't know how much he made, but I'm sure um, in, 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 the, in the area of $200 million off of that, right. if, not, if yeah. not more. And if you, you may hear a little bit more of the story, this is a teaser for the MMFM. We are going to have the co-founder of Braun Studios, which co-financed Joker. Yeah. Live. So maybe, maybe he'll Street. tell us, but maybe well, she, we won't ask. Brenda, it's actually the, the oh, female yeah, it's Brenda. That's right. It's Brenda Gilbert, who's the BR in Braun. And she will be one of our special featured guests at the Miami Media and Film Market in September. And she'll be able to tell us how Braun Studios, you see them everywhere now. They're like on almost every major release now at the end of the year, how they've been able to build this, this massive little company out of Vancouver. But one of their biggest sort of hits in terms of their co-financing arrangements with the studios has been Joker. So we're yeah. going to find more deets about so, that. So with Skojo, with Scarlett Johansson, I keep saying, like I know her. <laughs> well, with Scarlett Johansson, she had back-end points for Black Window, Widow that were based on the theatrical numbers. But when they released Black Widow day and day, what Scarlett Johansson and her attorneys are saying is that the numbers were cannibalized by the streaming numbers. And so right. Disney doesn't lose in that because they want it more. They need more subscribers. They don't need more subscribers, but you know, they're always doing outreach for more subscribers. And so they get more subscribers, but then black widow was undercut that the theatrical black widow was undercut because people can watch it at home. Yeah. And so- yeah. And there, there is a method to that madness. And that was explained. I think, what the, the point that NATO, not that NATO, the North American theater owners were trying to make, particularly at their conference, I, I believe it's coming up this month, is that respecting that theatrical window and creating that exclusivity only extends the life of your film, financially speaking, because folks are willing to pay a premium to see their movie once it's out of theaters. And then you get into your sort of traditional ancillary markets, but you have to respect that window because that's where you're going to get that that huge chunk of change right up front when folks can only see it by going to a theater. And they're saying that, you know, the first couple of weeks, they left $90 million on the table and they, and, and they can forecast right. that through, you know, a projection analysis. So, yeah. and look, obviously I understand the studio standpoint, you know, they, there's a lot of fear because of the pandemic and when will theaters come back? When will they be back at hundred percent capacity? You know, these are huge movies that unlike Joker, which they made for a budget, but most of these films, as you know, are North of 180, $200 million budgets. So, you know, some of them, you know, really require even half a million, $600 million just to break even and start to get into the black. Yeah. So you can see both sides. Um, But I think that this is really the first time that an actor and make no mistake, Scarlett Johansson is a pretty powerful, you know, she's she's an A-lister, an A-lister. And so um, she's a Vinnie Chase, her own right. (laughs) There you go. um, Has taken on a major. This is Disney. So we want to see how this all plays out. And, you know, the, the times have kind of predicated this kind of environment. And this is something that, you know, was already being moved towards, which is the shrinking of the theatrical window. So I think that ultimately, the, you know, it's going to level off and there's going to be, you know, whether it's 30 days or 45 days or whatever, you know, at least some moment in time that there is a theatrical release 
I'm not sure if this day and date is going to continue. I don't think it's going to continue, but that there's a theatrical window. And then there's also then after that, the ancillary window. So let's see how that all plays out. But it also plays into one of the latest releases on the DC side, Suicide Squad. Yeah. Yeah, that that was a very soft opening. And that was another reason why, again, I'm sure the NATO folks are saying, look, respect these windows, because it was a very soft for especially for a superhero tentpole movie uh, showing that, you know, this is just it's this day and date thing. Once again, in HBO Max, you don't have to pay the premium to watch it. Right. You just as long as you're a regular subscriber, you get access to it. But still, you can tell how that's chipping into what could have been a potentially much bigger opening for that film as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I saw it. It was great. I loved it. So right. I would have seen it in theaters. And I love to see these kinds of movies in theaters. You know, yeah. Of yeah. yeah. There's something about, yeah, that huge sort of superhero genre. It's it's an event. You know what <laughs> Scorsese kind of tongue in cheek referred to as theme park movies that uh, <laughs> that are, that that I guess they you should see them on a big screen. You should experience the full surround sound, the full CGI, just kind of envelop yourself in that world as opposed to, you know, watching it on a small screen at home or a mobile phone. Yeah. But, you know, you do get you know, you do have worries. I have a, you know, little daughter, a year and a half. And so you are worried about some of the things like the Delta variant and all that. That's why I ended up not going. Not that I was going to take my daughter to go see that anyway, but we only have a small, you know, kind of smaller set of people that watch my daughter. My other daughter's out of town. And so, you know, it just didn't work out. Otherwise, I would have gone to go see it in the theaters. Definitely something I want to go see in the theaters. And so I'm sure that all this will be worked out. And especially yeah. in enough time for AMC to take Bitcoin, of which I have, you know, a little bit. It's going up. So maybe I'll there pay Bitcoin. But maybe Adrian Grenier can give us some insight, although he doesn't really talk as much about Bitcoin. But... What he does talk about is the democratization of the monetary funding system. system yeah, globally. absolutely. Yeah, it's very important. Very important so, conversation, you know, from a very cool guy, very interesting dude, very smart, very talented. So we're so excited. want to hear about his company and the things that he's doing. And hopefully we'll have him in one of our projects one day. Uh, he's a really cool guy. So um, without further ado, we give you Adrian Grenier. Are we rolling? I'm going to just do this quick podcast real quick. <laughs> so thanks a lot for doing this. Certainly. We really believe in your efforts. My company is all about sustainability. It's an entertainment company, but the pillars of the company are sustainability, environmentalism, conservation. Yeah, word. So Great. we yeah. want to talk about your movement towards that yeah. and your movement in general. So I, I started an impact company called uh, Ducontra Ventures, and we're focused on uh, investing in companies that uh, care about yields beyond money, YBM. So it's a metric to uh, look at the things that we can't calculate, that are just outside the, the boundaries of our calculators, the immeasurable, the things that are important in life. And that's our first, first what we look at first before we look at the finances. Uh, and in our mind, we need to invest in uh, alternative currencies, uh, the future of finance, uh, mechanisms for equity, access, uh, as well as human flourishing, technologies both ancient and new that help people level up, mental health, uh, physical health, well-being, 
Uh, and then also communitas, which is community. How do we invest in uh, businesses that are helping bring people together in physical space, but also not necessarily, but ultimately together to rise together. And then finally, of course, do consumer, which is better for you, better for the planet, better for society, consumer goods. Because it's, it's not just about how we think, how we get together, uh, how we use money, heal our relationship to money, but also what we buy and what we consume. So it's community and the connection of community. That's that's a that's one of our verticals. Yes, I love it. I love it, and that that's what brings you to Bitcoin Conference 2021. Uh, well, I'm I'm a big proponent of Bitcoin and other uh, alternative currencies uh, because I believe we need to reinvent ourselves as a society. And right now, the existing economic system, uh, you know, it's it's worked fine up until now, but it needs a refresh, if you will. Uh, we need to give more people the ability to participate in the world economy uh, and take away some of the, the gatekeepers and let money, f let, let the exchange of value flow a little bit more fluidly. I love it. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this company called Engine Number no. 9 that took on Exxon and how they were able to institute board members 0.001% of a shares that uh -huh. they were able to obtain and they took on Exxon and they were able to in institute two board members and maybe three board members to uh, to change their forecast and sustainability right. and environmentalism. So I'm a big believer in companies both big and small right. helping to change the future. Well, and also that's uh, you know a testament to change comes with from within. You know, so you got to be at the table to be able to make the changes. And, and personally, it's like instead of looking at the outside, I mean, we, we really see, you know, if you want to change the world out there, you got to first change the world in here. And I'm pointing to my heart because, you know, we all need to do the work so that we can level up our thinking so we can change the way we approach the problems of the world. So it's a paradigm shift, full systems thinking, and it starts from each individual. Absolutely. Yeah. They say you can't change yourself. You can't change the world until you change yourself. That's right. right? Mm -hmm. And so you recently had a change. You were in Los Angeles for many years. You recently moved to Austin, Texas. Mm -hmm. How's that transition been like for you personally and professionally and making that, that change? The transition was hard, but now that I'm here, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ch change is hard. And I, you know, I, I, I have a lot of compassion for people who are resistant to, to the change that's happening. I mean, COVID was a, an immediate change, but, you know, technologies like Bitcoin, crypto, you know, these are changes that have t whose time has come and it's really uncomfortable for a lot of the, you know, the people who are heavily invested in the old system. Right. Uh, so I totally understand. But re with regards to my own personal journey, uh, you know, I, I grew up in New York, 40 years in the, in the city, on the, in the concrete jungle. I never thought I'd leave. Uh, but when I realized that I was so disconnected from nature and, and that I was nature and that I needed to be more connected to myself, especially if I do environmental work, I really needed to um, get my hands in the dirt and be more present with, with, with our mother nature. Absolutely, yes. They say change can be scary, but it's necessary sometimes. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I did the opposite. I was born and raised in Miami, but I moved to Los Angeles, worked in the entertainment industry there, obviously. Uh, I, I've heard of it. I, you've heard of it, <laughs> yes. Uh, and it's funny because, you know, obviously you, you worked on a big entertainment industry show called Entourage, obviously, for many years. I wound up working at ICM. Uh, for about four years, so for me it was like kind of like inside baseball. <laughs> so, oh yeah, yeah, totally. You know, and and it's it's had obviously a tremendous following over the years. Yeah. Um, do you see yourself kind of going back into that world of acting, or are you now really transitioning your career to something else? Well, yeah, I've always been a creative person, right? Uh, so uh, 
you know, if there's the right role or the right project, uh, and it helps me to achieve my personal goals and what I'm looking to, to build in the world, yeah. Um, certainly, I'll be in front of the camera. I'll be. I'll sit down and speak into a mic. Um, and that's not going to go away, but really, it has to help serve my ultimate principles and values. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, is this your first time in Miami or you've been here before? Oh, I've been. Of course I've been here before, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do, I do want to speak on flashbacks right now. I'm like coming back here. I'm like, oh, I remember Miami. <laughs> or maybe I don't remember that time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm asking everyone about this because we, we're talking a lot about the convergence of the entertainment industry and the cryptocurrency blockchain industry and one of the biggest hot ticket items is NFTs which has helped creatives to monetize their intellectual property are you familiar with NFTs? Uh, yeah I'm fami familiar enough I guess to know what you're talking about yeah. <laughs> non-fungible tokens yeah, so there was yeah. an artist named Beeple that sold one of his digital art pieces for 69 million dollars making him the second biggest living artist in the world today yeah, yeah. so you know uh -huh. it's all about artists and creatives being able to own, have ownership of their intellectual property and what they create. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'm speaking on the stage about the future of the creative economy. So, uh, you know, it's, it's right in the heart of it. That's in the pocket. Um, in terms of, you know, giving the artists who have always gotten the short end of the stick, uh, have been undervalued, an opportunity to be sovereign masters of their, of their destiny. Um, and also give artists a, an opportunity to be directly connected to their fans so that they can give them the art that, that they're that's being demanded. A lot of times, you know, artists um, get blocked by this existing system because there's an agenda, you know. So Hollywood, for example, you know, you have to get it greenlit through the existing system. You may have a banger. You may have a really great uh, piece of art, music, whatever, and if, and if you get a bunch of no's from a bunch of suits and they're only interested in making a lot of money versus actually creating more value for the audience, uh, you know, then, then there's going to be a lot of great artists that don't get an opportunity to be um, featured. Yeah. Can you just give us a little teaser about what you're going to talk about on stage and the future of the creatives? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm looking at the creator economy more broadly these days. Uh, I've been an artist. I've created films. I've made music. The whole thing, I've acted. You've yeah. seen me. Uh, <laughs> a couple times. Yeah. But right now, like, I'm, I'm really pouring my creativity into lifestyle. And, and um, I'm building a, a community in, in, in Texas. Uh, I'm building this business, this, you know, this uh, impact fund. So for me, uh, I'm really looking at all the tools that will give me the most success and the most authority over my destiny. So it's, it's the same spirit, like we're gonna create the world that we wanna see. And what, while it may not be an NFT or a piece of music, it's still creative. Absolutely, Absolutely. this yeah. is great. This is amazing, thank you Adrian for yeah. your time. And we're back. That was awesome. That was Woo! a great, great get. <laughs> Man, I remember watching Entourage. Yeah. Back in the day. Just yeah, such a great character, such a great show. You know, I know that uh, it's it's really one of those shows that that marked a certain moment. Especially as I referenced, I lived in LA during the time that the show was airing, so I kind of felt what that world was like. And you were in the so you were cool. in that world. I mean, you I were was at, there. You were at yeah. the, that agency. 
I, yeah, right. I was in Ari Goldland at the time and yeah. just kind of going through that motion and, and seeing how these agents worked and how the stars worked and how that, quote, entourage, you know, was part of this sort of Hollywood ecosystem at the time. You know, things have, have evolved somewhat, but yeah, it's just, you know, such a great show and such a great talent. You know, he's been in other movies and TV shows as well. Devil Rose Prada was a favorite as well that he was in. And, and you know, now to see him kind of make this sort of, I don't want to say a pivot, but just kind of evolving his career. Evolution. Often evolution, but still saying he's very open to these creative opportunities as they come along and just kind yeah. of just opening himself up to the world and, and, and kind of evolving as things change, as the industry changes. Yeah. And he also talked about, you know, because he is a creative, you know, so this extension is more, you know, an outreach to other creatives. Yes. Um, at the time that Entourage came out, you know, I was more in front of the camera than behind the lens. You know, now I'm, I'm way more behind the lens than in front. And so, you know, if you are part of the industry, you really do feel exactly, you know, the beats and the rhythms of, of a show like that. But, it, you know, it was a show for everyone. It was the biggest show on HBO at the time that it was airing. So, you know, this was really a great one to, to, to be able to connect in that way. Um, and speaking of biggest and the great ones, we got to talk about the GOAT. <laughs> yeah yeah one of my favorite documentarians has taken on one of if not the greatest the greatest um fighter of all times muhammad ali yeah very exciting for you ken burns fans as you mentioned in particular it's going to be a four-part docuseries on pbs i believe starting airing in september all about you know, the life and journey of Muhammad Ali, never before seen interviews, very rare footage that only Ken Burns, I'm sure, has access to. He must have a very special, like, almost like a Harry Potter wizarding room where he just comes up with all these magical footage and interviews and just splices it up like Edward Scissorhands. I know I'm comparing a lot of different movies right now, but that's what I imagine the world of Ken Burns is as he's editing and making these films. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say something that's maybe not as popular, you know, but uh, and I'm a huge Ken Burns fan, um, but I'm not sure if he's the right person for this documentary in particular. Ooh, interesting. Yep. Yep. Kind of lighting it on fire. Um, what was yeah. kind of cool, we had at Miami Media and Film Market, Gregory Allen Howard, the day after or maybe two days after Muhammad Ali died. And Gregory right. Allen Howard was great friends with Muhammad Ali. He wrote the Muhammad Ali, the first story for the film that ended up becoming Ali, the one with Will Smith. Right. And so, you know, and I think he also wrote the intro to that Toshin book, right? The that really yep, big that's right. The coffee book. table book. Yeah. The the and, and, and three essays in that book, the biggest book about Muhammad Ali. So the goat book about the goat. And so, you know, there's a, a, a connection that not maybe necessarily Gregory Allen Howard is a writer, but there are filmmakers out there that have, more of a personal connection with Muhammad Ali and have had more of a personal connection with Muhammad Ali that I think would have been better suited for this story than Ken. Yeah. But look, so, the good thing is one documentary is not mutually exclusive of others. So that's true. I'm sure that if you could pick up the ball, so to speak, and run with it, I'm sure there are other stories about his life and his journey and everything that he meant to the community around him Yeah, that I just feel like, yeah, there, there's probably room for more. Absolutely. Even though Ken Burns documentaries tend to be very long, there is probably room for more, even within that specific subject matter. Yeah. 
Well, we'll see. I mean, I know it's going to be good, but I'm just going to leave that. I'm going to leave that there. So, yes. But speaking of things being left there for our consumption, uh, Cinderella, this is the live action film based on the original character. This is not a Disney movie, by the way. This is uh, Camila Cabello, homegirl, Cuban girl, 305, major star turned actress by this film and she is playing the titular character of cinderella and a whole new spin you got to watch the trailer uh we have the clip here from indie wire that posted it and it's uh it looks interesting it's, it's a different take she's a fashion designer now apparently that was cinderella's bag in this movie and so she has not only this pursuit of the lovely prince charming but she also wants a career in this hey. adaptation flipping it flipping it yes. in a couple of different ways Oh, yeah, especially with the fairy godmother, which apparently is being pay- played by Billy Porter as uh, <laughs> a lot of people were hot about that. A non-binary LGBTQ fairy god mother, I guess, godparent, whatever wow. you would say in that situation. Yeah. But very interesting him in the in the trailer as well. And his very sort of, you know, the Billy Porter persona. And Love his Billy Porter. Oh yeah, just love kind of me a little bit. Billy Porter. He's he's great. He has so much energy. He's so charismatic. You could tell and that he's he was such a dynamic actor. Absolutely, I mean, very talented. You know, Tony Award winner, Emmy yep. multiple Emmy Award winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's you know, getting close to that scene, EGOT. Getting close. Yeah. So he's one. Of, you know, I have much love for him. I hope I, I work with him one day as well. Um, so, but. Um, doesn't she live here in Miami? I think she does. Well, yeah. Again, she is Cuban-American. She was born and raised in Miami. She is from the hood, the 305, as they say. Uh, she has been spending a lot of time in Miami. She especially has a house during, here. She went to Palmetto, yeah. just like my yeah, daughter. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, because her parents live there, I think. So I think she created a little compound for her and her family there. Yeah. And and her her new BF, in Pine Crest, Mendes. Yeah. down the street from me. She's Cubanizing Sean Mendes. I seen a couple of her, his Instagram posts and hers, and he's like drinking a little cafecito now in the morning, right? And uh, just doing the whole Cuban thing now, which I find is hilarious. What a great way to have our last story, bring yes. full circle back to the three oh five. End it with a little cafecito talk here yeah. at Screen Heat Miami, which we have to do. But very proud of our local talents. We always want to highlight that when we can. And we wish her all the best with this film when it debuts. I believe it's an Amazon Prime. It's going to be a release. We got to have her on. So got to get Camilla. You're in touch with her. Well, I don't know. I mean, we share roots. So maybe no, we're distant cousins. No, I said you <laughs> were in touch with her back at the Hobbits. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Her publicist did say that she well, we're going to revisit that. Let's just uh, not let too much out of the bag. But, yeah, it could be some percolating there. Let's percolate. Percolate it. Percolate it. Yes. I mean, we got we got a, one big star already today with Adrian Grenier. Let's see if we can nab it. We got one. a lot of big ones. <laughs> yeah. But this has been a great session. I really appreciate, as always, our friendly banter. Yep. There you go. I'm Kevin Sharpley. I'm J.L. Martinez. The Screen Miami. We'll hear you next time. Dolly. Yeah.